it's a privilege to be back with you tonight here at Eufola. I do love your pastor dearly. As many of you know, uh, such a close friend of mine, and we enjoy each other's company for a little bit of time, at least, before we get tired of each other. I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It is a privilege to, to preach here, because outside of my own family, few know me as well as your pastor knows me, and he still lets me come preach for you. And for that, uh, I am grateful. I'm also glad to have some very close friends of our family here tonight. As your pastor said, uh, we, we, don't, we don't have Sunday night church. We uh, do other things. We, we do do things together as a church. We just don't always look like this on Sunday night. And tonight's one of those rare nights where we don't have anything going on. And so uh, Joe and Brittany Moody and their daughters drove all the way up from Midland uh, tonight to be with us. And I sure love them and uh, grateful that they could that they could be here uh, tonight. And, of course, uh, Jake said a moment ago that uh, he was very pleased with Sunday night's crowd. I, I, I don't know if that means some of you don't normally come on Sunday night or what. I took that to mean that you're finally glad to hear some good preaching. Uh, so... <laughs> Oh, I'm just, I'm tickled to death to be here tonight. Now, let me, let me say that I really appreciate what you've done this weekend in the emphasis of the mental uh, wellness uh, weekend. I, I do not know the gentleman who preached for you last night or uh, this morning. I, I do know that those of us who have gone through seasons of deep depression and anxiety have very strong opinions about what we've gone through and how to get through those. I hope I don't conflict anything that you've heard over the weekend, uh, but I do want to tell you that my approach to you tonight is more pastorally than it is therapeutically, although therapy is extremely important, just like any illness that we have, to make sure that we're getting proper care. And so I would say to you at the very outset of this, that in Jesus we find all the answers that we need for the life and that we have and the problems we face. But oftentimes what we find in Jesus is the avenues by which he directs us to resources here right in front of us, to good doctors, to good counselors, to medication, to other things to help us get through what is no different than any other medical need that you may have. And I want you to understand that because a lot of times, and I... I don't have this background, but I do know that in some churches and circles that, that depression and anxiety is kind of this taboo thing. It's almost looked down upon, like that's the thing we don't talk about. Now, I don't come from that background. It was talked about in my family. It was treated in our church growing up and has been in our church at Laurel. But, but just in case you've come from that background... Perhaps, if anything at all, over this weekend, you can be reassured that 
Number one, it's okay not to be okay. And number two, that you can find help for these things with the gifts that Christ has given us. So I think this is good what you're doing. I think it's also important that you recognize that the church may not be qualified to deal with every medical need that a person has. But we ought to at least be equipped to know how to get people to the help that they need. And that's a part of this as well. You may not have experienced this. You may never experience these things. But if at least as a church we can be equipped with the know-how to be able to point people in the right direction to get the help that they need, then I think we can count that as a victory for our win column. Right? Are you with me? And so this is, this is wonderful. In February the 21st, uh, 2021, I woke up for the most part thinking it was just a normal Sunday. We're coming out of COVID for the most part. I... Um, Felt like I handled COVID pretty well. And what I mean by that is we had very few weeks where we didn't meet together. We didn't have very much tragic uh, situations arise in our church family. Our church actually grew through it. And so it shocked me when I, when I came to that Sunday on February the 21st, 2021, I preached our two morning services. Ironically, I preached from Hebrews chapter 3 on the gospel of rest. I had no idea what I was preaching that day and how badly I would need it. I get done preaching. I do what I normally do, which is stand here at the front. I shake hands and speak to people. Most everybody had left at that point, and I walked back to my office where I sat down in a chair and collapsed. Right there on that Sunday morning, I began to break down in a way that scared me to death. I'd never experienced anything like this before. I couldn't stop crying. My vision blurred. My body was shaking. That there were parts of me that were hurting in a way that I wondered if maybe I was having a heart attack or what kind of Attack was overcoming me in those days. My wife walked in and she said, is everything okay? I was like, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't think. I can't feel. All I can do is just cry. We came home and I couldn't eat anything. I went straight upstairs to the bedroom and got in the bed. I tried to sleep it off thinking maybe I'm just exhausted. So I got in the bed. I couldn't, couldn't sleep. I just, I just kept crying and crying and crying and crying. Monday, it was the same. I thought maybe by Tuesday I would be well enough to go into the office. When Tuesday come around, I was in worse shape than I was on Sunday. But, but us men, we can get through this, right? We can deal with it. And so that's what I kept telling my wife. I can deal with this. I can handle it. I'll get through it. Just go on. Do, do what you have to do. I will be fine. And what I didn't know is behind the scenes, she was calling my father. I've never seen him like this. I'm, I'm scared. I think you need to come talk to him. My, my dad dropped everything. 
and came over and spent the next five hours with me on that Tuesday trying to make sense of what was happening. What I know now that I didn't know then is that my body was breaking down and my mind was breaking down. Well, what, what caused it? Well, see, that's, that's a hard question because it's not one thing. It was a million different things all colliding at once. It's like the Pac-Man game. Pac-Man gets bit by one ghost, no big deal. A second ghost, no big deal. But eventually that death blow is going to come. And for me, it just happened to be on that Sunday that that ghost got me. And here I am phasing out. I look back on it, I realize that there were some things going on that I, that I wasn't paying that close attention to that snuck up on me, that I thought I was handling fine, that I wasn't. I lost 30 pounds in two weeks. I didn't eat anything. I couldn't. I couldn't even drink a cup of coffee. On that Wednesday, I, I called our leadership team, our elders and deacons, and sat down with them, and I said, men, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't get out of the bed. I was embarrassed to tell them that that particular morning, my wife had to physically pull me out of the bed and put me into the shower just to get me moving because I couldn't move at all. And some of you who've been there know that on those lowest days, just to actually get in the truck and pull out of the driveway is a huge victory. I was so scared about meeting with my men. Who wants a pastor who's weak, who's broken? I was so scared. But with my wife and our men, I said, look, there's no scandal. There's nothing that we're hiding. If something is wrong with me, and I need, I need, I need some time to figure this out. I'd scheduled an appointment with my doctor the very next day. I thought maybe there's something physically going on in here. I wasn't thinking here, but somewhere in here that maybe is causing me to feel this way. And, and I said, if you'll just let me go see my doctor, I am tired. Maybe just give me two weeks and, uh, and I'll, be, I'll be back. It led to a longer discussion to which my men were so gracious to say, we don't want to give you two, two, two weeks. We want to give you as much time as you need. I remember one man stood up and looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, Pastor, we don't care if it takes six months before you come back. We want you well. So we don't want to see your truck in the parking lot. We don't want you coming around here during the week. We don't want to see you on Sunday. We want you to go get help. And I'm so grateful for that. That's exactly what I did. I thank God for my doctor. He's an elder at another church in town, Christian man who loves the Lord. My first appointment with him was nearly an hour. And for 45 minutes, all he did 
was talk to me about Jesus. We talked about other things, but that's primarily what began to take place. I soon realized I was in the early stages of a burnout. I was experiencing a depression. And so we began to walk through some various aspects to see what could help me get better. I honestly thought I was just in a funk. They just give me a week or two and I could be right back in it. But that actually turned into four months. Four months of not being in our pulpit, not being in the office. I actually very rarely got out at all. One of the first services I ever came to during that period after being down for so long was at this church. On the night that Stuart was ordained to gospel ministry. I sat there shaking, afraid, scared, doing everything I could to hold back because there were other preachers here who knew I was conspicuously absent from my church. I didn't want anybody to ask me what was wrong. Over a period of time, I went through the ebbs and flows of counseling, seeing doctors. We finally determined toward the end of last year, 2021, around December. In fact, it was just a few days after Joe and Brittany and our families went to South Carolina for an evening together. We sat at a Mexican restaurant. I ordered what I thought I could eat, and my food just sat there. I couldn't eat. I was embarrassed that church people were even with me. I mean, I, could, I can't hide this. They know I'm not right. Something's wrong. My doctor diagnosed me with an anxiety disorder. One that we began to determine was not only hereditary, but had been passed down through one side of my family. Which, by the way, was helpful to hear because up to that point, I had not heard all the stories about this particular side of my family. I was glad to feel that I wasn't alone. It was also a reflection of the traumatic experience that I had went through back in February of that year. My, my doctor said, your, your body, your mind has been through trauma. And it's not going to bounce back so easily. It takes time and a lot of maintenance and a lot of care. That, that could take a year. It may take 10 years. But, but what we're doing is trying our best to get you back to a place that where you can feel yourself again. And that's one thing I had lost. I didn't feel like Jonathan anymore. My life and ministry has changed dramatically. I was grateful I got to come back to church that year. On Easter Sunday was my first Sunday back. I sat in the front row shaking again, looking at my wife up until the very minute that I was supposed to walk on the platform telling her I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. I can't do this today. I'm just going to get up there and pray and we're going to be done. It was, it was so overwhelming to get up in the pulpit that morning scared to death and then see the Holy Spirit take over and use me like he had so many times. It was reassuring to my broken and weak soul.
I've had to go through a lot of changes. I don't travel as much as I used to. I've learned a lot about rest and exercise, counseling. Do you, know, do you know how hard that is for a guy like me who's literally counseled hundreds of people to have to say, I need help? I'm on medication. I'm not afraid to tell you that. I, I don't see medication as an answer to my problems. I see it as another tool in the belt, so to speak. That to keep my mental capacity in check, I'm wearing, I'm wearing a belt around my head. And on that belt is God's word and singing and praying and counseling and medicine and all these sort of things that are God's common graces to us working together to help me get out of the bed, to help me go through my day and try my best to glorify God in what is a broken and weak body. I remember my doctor looking at me and saying, Jonathan, I don't know that your disorder is ever going to go away. But everything that we're doing to work at is to help you by God's grace manage it for your good and his glory. And that's what brings me to the passage tonight. I want to talk to you about trusting God in the dark. Trusting God in the dark. Psalm 13 has been my loyal companion. I told you, people who've gone through seasons of depression have strong opinions. Let me give you one of my strong opinions, all right? People who are hurting, at least me, have found great measure of hope living in the Psalms. Those who say they don't find hope in the Psalms or reading the wrong ones. Because the Psalms are life-giving. They help us to put language to what we feel. And did you realize that the majority of the Psalms are Psalms of sadness, grief, gloom, and mourning? I lived in the Psalms. Yes, there were mornings I couldn't even read my Bible. But as much as I could, I would, I would dive into the Psalms because it seemed like there, through all this talk of depression and anxiety and fear and worry, I found myself on the pages of Scripture. And God's Word had articulated it so much better than I could even articulate it. And Psalm 13 had become that Psalm for me. I want us to read it together, and then I want you to see three things with me. Look at Psalm 13, 1. The Psalm of David, he says, How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart every day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I've prevailed against him. And those that trouble me, rejoice 
when I'm moved or when I'm gone. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart will rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We don't know David's specific circumstance here in Psalm 13. We don't don't know for sure what has happened to cause him this particular season of darkness. Now, I think for us, this is a good thing. Because if we knew for sure why he was feeling the way that he was, we might be tempted to push the psalm away if we found ourselves not being able to relate to his specific circumstance. We, We do that sometimes when we come to the Bible, don't we? We, 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 we don't walk away with the right lessons because, we, well, that's not me. I've never done that, or that's not been my experience. I, I'm kind of glad that David doesn't talk about what it was that had brought him so much depression because it relates to anyone who's depressed regardless of what has brought that on in their life. What we do know is that David is experiencing a season that many of us face at varying degrees. He's dealing with depression, anxiety. Some might even call it the blues. And as we know here in Psalm 13, David sees it as darkness. Did you notice that? Verse 3. Turn the lights on, Lord. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I'm in darkness caught, and I'm begging you to turn the lights on. You see, the thing about darkness is sometimes we can see it coming, right? Now that I've experienced what I've experienced, I have a little better barometer as to when it's coming again and what I need to do to keep it away. But sometimes, and more often than not, the darkness takes us by surprise. Perhaps you find yourself in the dark tonight for a variety of reasons. The darkness of infertility the darkness of a difficult marriage or a wayward child. Maybe it's the darkness of an emotional collapse that is inexplicable, as mine was. Or the darkness of a medical condition that won't seem to go away. Let me say to you, if that's you, then Psalm 13 is for you. It's for me. In fact, it's for all of us. Because there's going to come a dark season in your life. And we need to know how to trust God when the lights go off. All right, three things. Number one, notice with me first his condition. All right, his condition. Four times in verses one and two, he asked the question, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long am I going to experience this? How long am I going to feel this way? It's obvious that this darkness David was experiencing was something he was confronted with all day, every day. Now, we say that time flies when you're having fun, right? But it seems to me equally true that time drastically slows down when you're in a season of darkness. Do you agree? Am I ever going to come out of this? When am I going to get through it? How long am I going to feel this way? How long is this going to be a problem in my life? And you see, at the heart of this is David's emphasis on how he 
feels. He feels that God has forgotten him. He feels that God is upset with him, that God has abandoned him. Look at it in verse 1. How long, our Lord, will you forget me forever? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You see, he actually feels this way. Now, our feelings often lie to us, don't they? It's why we cannot allow our feelings to govern our lives. If we let our feelings govern our lives, we would never read the Bible when we're down and depressed. If we let our feelings rule our lives, we'd never sing because we don't feel like singing. If we let our feelings rule our life, we wouldn't go get help because we don't want anybody to think anything's wrong with us. We can't let feelings govern our lives. You see, what David feels here is not true, church. God has not forgotten him. God has not abandoned him. Look, he may feel this way as you may do tonight, but it's not true. It's not true. Yet, it is in our moments of darkness that we often give our feelings the loudest voice. Isaiah 49 and verse 14, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And then in verse 15, God speaks up and says to Israel, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, God says, but I will never forget you. God says, look Israel, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. We may feel like God has forgotten us, but he hasn't forgotten us. If you are his child, your name is forever written in the palm of his hands. He knows you. He knows how you feel. He has not gone anywhere. See, God's care for his children is like the sun. The sun is constant, right? At times, the clouds obscure it, but it's there. And all we need to do is just rise above the clouds just a little and see the sun is there the whole time. The whole time. We have to ask God for those moments. I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like I'm in this whatever and I'm never going to come out of it. Lord, if it's just for a moment today, if it's just for a moment, let my head rise above the clouds and just be reminded of what is true, that you are there and you have been all along. You see, this season of darkness not only has him experiencing irrational thoughts and feelings, but he's also overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish. Again, verse 2, how long shall I take counsel of my soul? having sorrow in my heart every day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? This, this is the battle that seasons of darkness bring to our mind and our emotions. It's consuming every part of him. Am I going to deal with this every day? I mean, every day he's on the brink of tears. He doesn't even know why he's crying. He's just crying. He can't eat. 
His mind is moving a hundred miles an hour. Why is this happening to me? How do I make sense of all of this? Why do the enemies of God seem to have better circumstances than me? Now you may, you may laugh at me, but I'm telling you, when you're in that dark hole, you think some crazy things sometimes. Your preacher's probably going to make fun of me about this, but when you're down in depressed and you can't get off the couch and you just need something else to think about than everything that's going wrong in your life, you turn on the television. And I'm usually at work in the mornings. I don't turn on the television at home in the mornings, but during that season of my life, every time I turned it on, the price is right was right in front of me. I used to get so angry because here I am in my pajamas, drowning in my tears, wondering if I'd ever preach again, questioning things about my life that I've never questioned before. And here are these bunch of goofballs jumping up and down on the TV over something that's so stupid. And I would get mad at that. How long, Lord? Are people going to be so happy over frivolous things? And I'm sitting here as your chosen servant, as your man, and I can't even get out of my house. Some fight this more than others. Darkness and depression is a constant battle for you. It is for me. Others hardly have trouble with it all. This is foreign to you. Now, I've learned through my experiences that personality has a lot to do with it. For instance, don't get mad at me, but extroverted people tend to superficiality, while introverted people tend to morbid introspection. Extroverted people, they hide what's going on. They mask it. So everything's a pep rally. Everything's positive. Everything's good. How you doing? I'm doing great. And deep down inside, you're kicking the skunk, if you know what I mean. Extroverted people tend to be superficial. Introverted people, of which I am, I'm an introvert. I saw a lady wearing a shirt at the softball field yesterday that says, I'm only talking to Jesus today. I said, I want that shirt. I like it. Introverted people tend toward morbid introspection. The sun's never coming up. Woe is me. It's kind of like this. Maybe you should get my Disney illustrations better. Um, Some are Tiggers. Some are Eeyores. And some of you are Winnie the Pooh. You can't get your hand out of the honey bucket long enough to put your pants on. So personality can be a definite player in these episodes for sure. But there are a number of other factors as well that contribute to these seasons of despondency. For instance, maybe you just want to jot these down. When we're overly tired and exhausted, we call this a a physical dynamic. What I didn't realize is that I'd been preaching since I was 15 years old. My first revival I ever did was in Kannapolis, North Carolina at Faith Baptist Church. I was so young, my mom had to drive me there. I couldn't drive myself. I hit the ground running. And I've never stopped. Preaching over 600 churches when I was in evangelism. 
I come to Laurel, we have 30 people, we're two families removed from closing the door. Somebody's got to work or I ain't getting paid. For 15 years of pastoral ministry, we've done nothing but go, 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 go. And depending on what you drive, either my gas went out or my battery died. Tired. Tired. Exhausted. Martin Lord Jones said, you cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical. We are body, mind, and spirit. The greatest and best Christians when they are physically weak are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. So when we're overly tired and exhausted, secondly, when we're undergoing intense spiritual warfare. So we have a physical dimension. We have a spiritual dimension. A lot of what you're facing is just spiritual warfare. Now, some of you are like me. When you go through these moments, all of it's happening at once. You find yourself exhausted. And when you're exhausted and tired, that's when the devil loves to jump in and make things a little bit worse. Number three, when we're coming off the heels of great success or encouragement. We call this the emotional dimension. John Piper said our worst Listen, this is so good. Our worst spiritual and emotional collapses often follow in the wake of our happiest, most victorious experiences. I thought I'd come through COVID just fine. Our church grew through it. Beautiful families like this one joined our church during COVID because they're shut down. I was up here, and in one moment, I'm down here. I've been kind of on edge about that here recently. We've had seven Sundays in a row of families joining the church. Seven Sundays in a row. And I woke up this morning thinking, Lord, I need to slow down, I think, because we're riding the mountain right now. And this don't always turn out good for me in the aftermath. And then I wrote down number four. So we have a physical dimension, spiritual, emotional. Then there's a mental dimension to this. These seasons come on when we are experiencing medical or physiological challenges. And that's one of the things that I determined too. My doctor was running some tests on me and he said, look, the normal brain is stationed like this. Let me show you what yours doing. He showed me this graph and it was like. <sighs> he said, it's all over the place. What we want to do is take what's here. And bring it back down to a steady movement. And all these things were happening to me. And by the way, there's a host of biblical illustrations of this, but time will not allow me to do it. I just want you to see that if you're in that kind of condition tonight, so was David. So was David. All right, write down number two, his cry, his cry. Now let me just say that this is very important that David chooses to cry out for help in verses 3 and 4. They often say that silence is golden. But let me tell you, silence is deadly when it comes to our soul and when we're sitting in the dark. Psalm 32.3, David said, when I keep silent, my bones, they grew old through my groaning all the day long. So, so in our darkness, we need to cry out. And that, that means talking to others. Now look at me. You can't talk to everybody. I know that. I couldn't talk to everybody. But you need to talk to somebody. Jake's one of my best friends in the world. I couldn't talk to him. 
I couldn't talk to him. I went through this for two weeks without my brother, who's one of my closest friends in the world as well, even knew what was going on with me. Kathleen would ask me, you should call your brother and ask him to pray for you and help me. I said, I can't talk to him. I can't do it. I can't do it. There was, there was only a few people that I could open up to about what was going on inside. And I understand it when you feel that way. But you need to talk to somebody. To somebody. But most importantly, what David's doing here is he's crying out to God. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus did in his depression. Yeah. Jesus went through a season of deep anguish. Matthew chapter 26, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. It's the same word that we use for depressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Our Lord Jesus said this. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and what? Pray with me. And so we see David crying out. Look at it in verse 3. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Please hear me, Lord. Are you there? I don't feel like you're there. I don't feel like you're there, but are you there? And sometimes that's all we can say. Lord, are you there? I just need to. I just need to know, are you there? He's depressed. He's down. His mind is consumed with questions. His soul is overwhelmed with darkness. He feels forgotten. He feels abandoned, questioning the presence of God in his life. And so all of this emotion burst out into a big cry for God to look at him and to help him. I, I, I'm not a stationary prayer. Is that even the right word? <laughs> Brittany will correct me on that later. I... I can't pray being still. Never been able to do that. So, so my quiet time when nobody else is around the church, I pace up and down the aisles of our auditorium, walking up and down the rows. When I need to get along with God, I walk in my neighborhood and pray. In that season of my life, I didn't have very much to say. But I'm walking around my neighborhood, and I'm crying. And I'm saying, oh, God, please don't abandon me. I remember one of my neighbors coming out one day just watching the tears coming off my face. And they said, Jonathan, are you okay? I said, no. But I'm talking to God about it. Oh, whatever you got to do, look to Jesus and cry out to him. Notice what David specifically asked God to do. Verse 3, in, uh, lighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lighten my eyes. <coughs> David's darkness had led him. To such despondency that he feels as if death is at his door. So, so he says to God, please turn the lights back on so I can see. And often that's our same prayer, isn't it? If I could just see, then I can make sense of all that is happening to me. Turn, turn the lights on, God. It's too dark. I'm afraid. I don't know why this is happening. But here's the thing. Oh, if we could just get this. He doesn't always turn the lights back on. Now this is what David is crying out and asking God to do for him, but there's no indication in the entire psalm that God actually does it. In fact, as we'll see here in just a moment, David's comfort came by the decisions he made while he was still in the dark. And maybe that's why God is teaching us through this affliction. 
through this depression, through this ongoing battle with anxiety. Maybe God is teaching us to trust him not with the lights on, but with the lights off. It's the same lesson with our kids, isn't it? I have four kids in my home now. My four and no more. Daddy, will you leave the lights on? Daddy, can we leave the door open? Daddy, will you, will you turn the bathroom light on? And often in our home, the answer is no. Because I'm trying to teach my kids to set aside their fears. And to learn how to rest in the dark. And perhaps that's what God is saying to us. Daddy, will you turn the lights on? Father, will you turn the lights on? And the Lord is saying, I love you, but no. Not right now. When darkness seems to hide his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Again, there's no indication that God answered David's prayer. The only thing that seems to change is David's perspective, not his circumstance. So what did he do? Thirdly and finally, he made a commitment. We see his condition. He's depressed. His feelings are controlling him. He cries out to God in anguish. Oh, God, help me. Hear me. Please turn the lights on. It's dark. I'm afraid. God doesn't do it. Instead, David makes a commitment. Look at verse 5 and 6. He makes a threefold commitment to God in the dark. To God in the dark. And it was this commitment that became the bridge to his comfort. It was these three things that changed my own perspective. As Psalm 13 became my daily prayer throughout the day. I asked God, or excuse me rather, I made this threefold commitment to God. Whether you turn the lights on or not, number one, I will trust in your love. Whether you turn (coughs) the lights back on or not, I will trust in your love. Look at verse 5. He says, I've trusted in your mercy. Mercy. Now the King James uses the word mercy here, but in the Hebrew it's the word hased, which is mostly translated in the Bible, love, steadfast love, loyal love. Love. And so when we talk about the mercy of God, we're actually talking about the unfailing love of God. What does this mean? Well, David's in a fight against his feelings, right? He feels God has abandoned him, that God has forgotten him. He feels sadness and depression all day, every day. He can't stop crying. He can't make sense of anything that is happening. He's not even sure he can go on another step. Yet, in this time of darkness, he says to God, But I will trust in your love for me. I may not feel your love right now, but I will trust the fact that I know that you love me. And friends, that's not an emotional commitment. That is a volitional commitment. And we understand the difference, don't we? (coughs) Because what he feels in his heart is real. It's real. He doesn't feel loved. It's why we cannot allow our feelings to govern our lives. So what he's doing here is he is fighting his feelings. He is fighting his emotions with what he knows to be true. 
whether he feels that way or not. And what he knows to be true is that God is there for him. That God has not abandoned him. That God has never stopped loving him. And that God's love will carry him through. Listen to me very carefully. When we are playing that war against our feelings, it is very important that we bring our feelings under the jurisdiction of God's character. I'm not going to allow my feelings to win the day. I'm going to bring it underneath the character of my Lord, whom I know wrote my name on the palm of his hand has never once forsaken me, and loves me the same. This has been so helpful to me. (coughs) Because those moments of darkness, when my feelings try to rule, my mind simply cries out, God, I will trust in your love for me. Here's the second thing he says, the second commitment that he makes. Commitment one, I will trust in your love. And practically what this looks like for me, because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to ask God. I'm just walking up and down (coughs) saying, Lord, I will trust your love for me. 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 I don't feel loved. I feel forgotten. I feel abandoned. I feel like my enemies are out there laughing, having a good time and experiencing joy. And I'm so down and depressed and hurt and, and sad and ready to quit. But, Lord, I will trust your love for me. I know you love me. I know Romans chapter 8 says there is nothing in this world that will ever separate you from my love. I don't feel that way, God. But I know that it's true. I will trust what I know to be true. And then I'm saying to God, I will rejoice in your salvation. I will rejoice in your salvation. Look at it again in verse 5. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. This is the principle of preaching the gospel to yourself. Have you ever heard that before? That you need, as a Christian, as a Christian, oh, my friends, I can spend so much time on you, but your pastor's already getting antsy about this. He wants me to wrap it up right now. I could spend so much time talking about preaching the gospel to yourself every day of your life. Every day of your life, preach the gospel to yourself. Because Christians need the gospel as much as anybody needs the gospel. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And that's what David is saying. I am going to rejoice in your salvation. I'm going to rejoice in what Christ has done for me. I'm going to rejoice in the day that God brought me from death to life by the power of His grace. Remember, this is volitional. It's choosing to rejoice in our salvation even when we don't feel like it. And I emphasize that point because, listen, some of you have been where I've been. Seasons of darkness can lead us to question things we never thought we would. Lee Smith, some of you know him. He's on our staff, on our leadership team. Most people characterize him by the big tall man at Laurel. He was one of the few that I could open everything up to. I was so, so depressed. It was so dark in my life, I began to question whether or not I was even saved. God's got to be judging me. Something's not right. You see, when everything's going good, you can read things like Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, I never knew you, and you feel okay about it. But when everything's going bad and you read, depart from me, I never knew, I'm thinking, Lord, is that me? 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. I battled with thoughts of my salvation, the genuineness of my call, whether or not God really loved me. And through it all, I had to say every day of my life, I will rejoice in your salvation. I'll rejoice. I remember when I was when I was five year old, and I came down the aisle in that Christian school chapel service after my dad preached on hell, and I never felt it so hot before in my life. And I came and I gave my life to Christ. God, I was there, and I know you were there. And there have been times I failed you. I failed you yesterday. I failed you today. I know I'm going to fail you tomorrow, but I'm so thankful that my security in you is not based upon the performance of my goodness. It is based upon the perfection of Christ's goodness. And so even though I don't feel like it, even though it feels like you're not there, even though I'm afraid that you've abandoned me, the devil's convincing me I don't even belong to you, that I'm not your child, that I really didn't mean it, that when I said it, I really didn't repent of it, and that you don't want to use me anymore and I can't preach and I can't pastor and all my pastor friends they've left me they won't call me they're mad at me all this kind of stuff Lord I'm still going to rejoice that you did save me even when I don't feel saved and that's the problem when we make Christianity be a bunch of emotions and feelings what's going to happen when the feelings aren't there what are we going to build our life on then oh David said I will trust in your love. I will rejoice in your salvation. And here is the last thing. He made a commitment. The third commitment was, I will sing of your goodness. I will sing of your goodness. Now, you're looking at a man who is passionate about singing. I'm not a good singer. But I guarantee you, if me and Matt had a sing-off, you'd think I was better than him. No, no, I can't sing where the lick. But God has taught me something about singing. I don't care what anybody says. You talking about a man who was depressed, who was down in the gutter, who thought he would never preach again. And you know how God lifted me up? Singing. Because God built us to sing to him. God built us to express our emotions of doubt and grief and darkness, to express that to him through singing. And that's exactly what David did. Look at verse number 6. I will sing to the Lord, and I will sing to him because he's dealt bountifully with me. In other words, I'll sing to him because he's been so good to me. He's made this extremely personal, hasn't he? I will sing of your goodness to me, to me. It's what we all have to do in our seasons of darkness. Acknowledge the goodness of God in all of our circumstances. And one of the ways we are to do this is by singing to God of His goodness to us. I cannot begin to tell you how much singing has helped me in my moments of darkness. And again, it's a choice to sing because I don't always feel like singing. I said earlier that if people tell you not to sing in the darkness, it's because they're trying to sing the wrong songs. At times it's a simple song, one that I know by memory. At other times it's simply listening to songs of worship, meditating on those words as they reflect praise to God in my own heart. Many times I pull out my cell phone as I'm walking up and down the aisles very early in the morning when nobody else is there. And, and Apple Music has this really cool thing. And I'm not as up to par as some of you are technologically. 
But I recently discovered if you, if you push this little quote box down right here in the corner, the lyrics come up. That really helps me with country music. Because I don't always understand what people like Jake like. And so I pull up the lyrics and there it is. There it is. Oh, but sometimes I'll hear a song, and man, that ministers to me. I'll hit that little button, the lyrics come up, and I'm just walking up and down the Lord singing, singing, singing to the Lord. You see, in the darkest hours of my life, singing has lifted me to hope in him once again. And that's why God has given us a hymn book in his word that has so many songs about sadness. Sadness. I know Matt does this. But we are very intentional at our church in our corporate gatherings. That when we plan our music, we give space for the glad and the sad. Because when you're depressed, it's hard to sing a glad song. But when there's a sad song in the mix... That person who's depressed, that person like we baptized this morning at our church who was fixing to take his own life until he walked in our church one Sunday morning and he heard sad songs. He didn't look around at a bunch of happy people that weren't crying about their problems and say to himself, I can't resonate with this. No, he heard a pastor talk about his depression. He heard singing that talks about deep affliction. And he said, you know what, if they can sing about their pain, maybe they have something for me. There are songs out there. Sing them. Walk with them. Because the greatest song we sing is often the one that's born in our greatest season of suffering. And for those of you who have been there, you know exactly what I mean. David committed himself to this. I'm done. His circumstances didn't change, by the way. Not right away at least. The lights don't seem to come on anytime soon. He's in the dark. Yet he says, I will trust in your love. I will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing of your goodness. Every day of my life, that became my meditation and my repetition, even when I didn't feel it. I'm fighting my feelings. I will trust in your love. I'll rejoice in your salvation. I will sing of your goodness. I will trust in your love. I will know you were there. I'll rejoice in your salvation. I'm, I'm reminding myself of what you did on the cross when you took what was ours Sin, guilt, shame, death, and replaced it with what is yours, righteousness and fellowship with God. I'm rejoicing in that salvation, and I'm singing of your goodness. That though I'm hurting, though I'm despairing, though I may never ever get out of this place of darkness, I know that you are there, and you are so good to me. Psalm 13 has become a close friend to me, and I hope it will become a close friend to you. Because as the old hymn lyrics go, days of darkness still come o'er me. Sorrow's path Jonathan often treads. But the Savior still is with me. And it's by his hand I'm safely led. When darkness comes, let's ask God to turn the lights on. But if he doesn't, church, 
let's ask him to help us learn to trust him in the dark. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, bless this time together, we pray. Amen. I just want to have a moment in prayer. Pray at your seat. If you need to use the altar, you can now.